St. Petersburg, a land of football. The UEFA European Football Championship Year 2020 will take place this summer in 12 cities in their stadiums. One of the quarterfinals will be held at the Gaspar Arena Stadium in St. Petersburg. Three years after the World Cup, for one day, a Russian city will become the center of football life again. Snob and the Year 2020 Organizing Committee present a collaborative project, a virtual walk for fans and all those who care about football and its history. This spring, we will present three multimedia votes and invite you to join us and several famous Petersburg residents, including actors, musicians and fans, to walk on them. The walks include an audio guide, a photo report and a fascinating story about football in St. Petersburg. The first route for the pages of history was created by sports journalist Fyodor Pogorelov. The idea to play with a round object goes back to the ancient times. Some historians think that the ball was a representation of the sun and the playing field represented the universe. Once there were rules, a simple ball-playing activity became the game. In 1863, representatives from 11 clubs and school teams gathered in pub in London with a playful name the Freemasons' Arms and agreed upon the rules of the game. Thus, the first Football Association of England was formed. Since then, in 150 years, the rules have changed many times, but the first steps were taken in that pub. After that gathering, football quickly spread throughout Europe. Sailors from the British trade ships traveled through the old world and introduced the game to the locals. At the end of the 19th century, football reaches Russia, specifically St. Petersburg, which was then the capital of a huge empire, a big port and a large industrial center. Many Englishmen who traveled to Russia settled there and worked at Russian manufacturing plants. Those settlers organized the first football clubs, Nevsky, Neva, Victoria. Here, Russian sports journalist and former Soviet football, Gennady Orlov, describing those times. The first people who brought football to St. Petersburg were the English sailors. They played against each other. Little by little, our dock walkers joined them and watched them. Ships kept coming and they always brought balls with them. In our youth, our boys ran around their 19th century with those balls. They stuffed the balls with feathers and used these so-called balls to run between two goals. The first stop on our walk is Simonovsky Regiment Parade Ground 1, Pioneer Square, Pioneer Skiploshet 1. We begin our journey in 1893. These days, it is a square in front of the Young Spectators Theatre, an extraordinary example of a mature Soviet avant-garde, designed by an architect, Alexander Zhuk. Take a look at the mosaic panels there. At the end of the 19th century, this was a horse and bicycle racing arena designed by Leon Benoit for the Semenovsky Regiment, one of the oldest guard regiments of the Imperial Russian Army that was stationed in the nearby village Semensi. On that arena in autumn 1893, between the horse races, took place a football match that was later reported in the local newspaper Peacebook Newsletter. According to the author of the article, the spectators have loudly cheered for the players and the players have been all covered in mud. 
Now we will take a taxi and ride to the Kadets line of Vasilevsky Island. One can also use the subway to get there. It takes about 30 minutes and two transfers to get from Zvenigorodskaya to Vasilyostrovskaya station. Next stop, manage of the Cadet Corps 1, Cadets Line, Cadetska Linea 1. This red class is his building as the former quarters of the Cadet Corps. For about two and a half centuries, the Corps has trained cadets for the Russian Imperial Army. In 1803, in the garden of the Cadet Corps, the Emperor Alexander I watched an unusual event. A Frenchman, André Jacques Garnerin, has made an ascent in a hot air balloon and travelled over Russia. The event charged a serious fee, two rubles, which there was still no end to those who wanted to attend. Now imagine Solovyovsky Garden across the Catacorps building at the end of the 19th century. The German nannies walking around with baby strollers, chatting with cadets, an orchestra playing on the garden summer stage made from cast iron. The mood is light and dreamy, and across the street a historical event is taking place. It was in the parade ground of the Catacorps that a match took place that is considered to be beginning of the Russian football history. An English team, Vasily Ostrovsky Football Club, played against a local team, the St. Petersburg Sports Lovers Circle. To no one's surprise, the founders of football have won 6-0. It is important to understand that until the end of the 20th century, the term for football in St. Petersburg and the rest of Russia was set by foreigners. The football clubs were formed predominantly by diasporas. The English founded Nevsky Club, the Scots, Nevka and the German Victoria. There was a club in town called Nationals, which was sort of a hodgepodge club as it consisted of people of various nationalities who could not form their own teams. Thus, Alois Vejvoda, a Czech engineer, played for that team. We will come back to him in our journey. Speaks the Russian actor Danilo Kozlovsky. I didn't know anything about the history of football then. I thought football has always existed in the form in which we see it today, but no. Then it was dirt, some leather ball, and people kicking it without knowing any rules, and for some reason, they believed in this odd game, and it was the meaning of their lives. I'm talking, of course, about the movie Go Past Him, one of my favorite movies. I remember how they literally turned off all the traffic lights, put all the road signs on the ground, and covered them with rocks and other props to hide them. There were no paved roads at that time, so everything was covered with earth, grain or something like that. There was historical ground transportation going back and forth. We were running with a ball, the four of us, four main characters of the movie, and we were passing the big leather ball to each other. Every time I come to St. Petersburg, I remember that episode. The third stop of our road, small avenue, Mali Prospect of Vasilevsky Island. From the Kadokops building, we're leisurely walking to a building number four on Mali Prospect of Vasilsky Island. Walking time is about 15 minutes. From the Kadokops building, we're leisurely walking to a building number four on Mali Prospect of Vasilsky Island. Walking time is about 15 minutes. In the Ming Green building in the street lives his whole life Vitali Bianchi. He was not only the author of the Force newspaper for every year, an encyclopedia of Force life for children, but also a famous pre-revolutionary footballer. 
Many people know that Bianchi used to write his books in his country house, Dacha, in Libergi village, not far from St. Petersburg. But very few know that it was the team Lebet Swan, the young Vitali played for as the right winger. Team's uniform, wine tops and blue bottoms. The 16-year-old Bianchi began playing for Lebet in 1910 within a summer Dutch league. The tournament took place during the summer months when most residents of St. Petersburg fled from its heat and stuffed air into the coolness of their suburban cottages, Dutchess. The football life in St. Petersburg stopped during summers, but in the suburbs it was quite active. The local inn advertised a summer tournament. A football pitch was set with improvised goals without nets, and the small meadows between the juniper bushes, cleaved from heather and debris, served as locker rooms. There, on the meadow, the players drank water from a bucket after games, and to wash out, they would run night into the coolness of the Gulf of Finland. Before games, the spectators would gather on the field to discuss the latest football news and remember the times when a veteran Lebitz played Bay Torkin sent the ball right into the head of a local priest's cow and knocked the cow out. Speaks the Russian writer Yevgeny Vodolaskin. Vitaly Bianchi played for several teams and he played very well. He was a forward, preferred the left wing, and he could serve a great corner kick. He was one of the first to call the ball the way Lobanovsky later did, when he scored goals direct from a corner kick. Next, we're walking to the house of George Dupron on 21 Dobrolubivo Avenue, Prospect Dobrolubivo 21. Once here flowed the Zdanovka River, Subsequently, it was filled up and the top of its Alexandrovsky prospect was built along with fashionable houses in the Northern Art Nouveau style. Here, to the chaplet's house in 1910, moved Georgi Alexandrovich Dupron. He was the man who basically established football in Russia, a journalist, judge, co-founder of the St. Petersburg Football League, also a football player and a scientist. Dupron became interested in sports at a young age. He left to skate in the frozen pond of the Yusupov Garden. He learned to ride a bicycle. Later, he worked with a cyclist in Samokat, scooter magazines. Then he joined KLS, the St. Petersburg Sport Lovers Circle, and fell in love with football. In 1901, together with John Richardson, the mechanic of the Nevskaya thread manufactory, Dupron founded the St. Petersburg Football League, which was in fact the prototype of the country's main relationship. It was Dupron who was the head of the Russian Empire delegation at the 1912 Olympic Games in Stockholm, Sweden. In the same years, Georgi Alexandrovich became the secretary of the All-Russian Football Union and helped Russia to be admitted to FIFA. In fact, the union was created in this house, in the Dupron apartment. After the revolution, Georgi Alexandrovich continued to be involved in football organizational activities. He worked as a secretary of the Petrograd Football League and published a corresponding bulletin. As a gymnastics expert, he participated in admissions and graduations of the Leningrad Choreographic School, now the Vaganova Academy of Russian Ballet. Since 1923, Dupron has been teaching at the Leskov Institute of Physical Education when he chaired the Department of Sports Games and created a sports museum. In 2018, at the initiative of Zenith Football Club, a memorial plaque in honor of George Dupron was erected on this house, on 21st Dobrolubiva Avenue. Fifth stop, 29 Kronvisko Street, Kronvisko Ulitsa 29.
From Dupin's house, we're walking along Bolshaya Pushkarska Street to the southern facade of the house of Three Benoit. In about 20 minutes, one can also take a trolley number 3107. This is one of the most interesting houses in St. Petersburg. It was built right on the eve of the First World War, between 1911 and 1914. The house was designed by three Benoit brothers, Leon, Julius and Albert. The Petrograd side and its camp form began to take shape after 1903. For the 200th anniversary of the capital of Russian Empire, the permanent Trinity Bridge was built, the third bridge across the Neva River. After its grand opening, Kamenostrovsky Avenue prospect sprang into life a dandy avenue according to the up remark of the poet Osip Mandelstam. St. Petersburg was designed as a city of architectural unities, so the blossoming of the Petrograd site into a sanctuary of the main architectural style of those times, no Art Nouveau, was not accidental. The house of the Three Benoit is gigantic. It was designed to have 250 apartments. Basically, it is a whole neighborhood connected into a system of 12 courtyards and two ceremonial courtyards, the so-called Courtiers of Honor, that was usually built to greet highly esteemed visitors. The buildings face both Kamenostrovsky Avenue and Kronvitska Street. The soft lines of the facade are created with soapstone, a light gray carving rock that was delivered from Sweden. In 1914, there was the largest house in the capital. In the attic of the house of the Three Benoit was the studio of Konstantin Murkowski. Many other famous people lived there, including the neurophysiologist Natalia Bekhtereva, architect Andrei Ol, Leningrad government leaders Grigory Zinoviev and Sergei Kirov, and Marshal of the USSR Leonid Govorov. In 1937, in apartment number five overlooking Bolshaya Pushkarskaya, said one of the greatest composers of the 20th century, Dmitry Dmitrievich Shostakovich. Here, he will write the famous Leningrad Symphony, number seven. Dmitry Dmitrievich will return to the same house from Samara, where he was evacuated during the siege of Leningrad. An outstanding composer, he was also a passionate football fan. Shostakovich was born in 1906, his youth falling in the roaring 20s, when Russia as a new young country have been developing new forms, meanings and aesthetics. We do not know when Dmitry Dmitrievich became interested in football. Perhaps it happened earlier when he lived in Dmitrievsky Lane and had been visiting the newly built stadium on the neighboring Murat Street. But we do know for sure that at the age of 23, in 1929, Shostakovich finished composing the music for the ballet The Golden Age, the first depiction of football and music. This was six years before the first USSR football championship. The ballet story is straightforward. Soviet football team Dynamo is sent to a competition in a fictional capitalist country during an international industrial exhibition, The Golden Age. The ballet has a lot of dancing, love and, of course, football. In the late 1930s, Shostakovich was going through difficult times. He was accused of formalism and condemned to be producing muddle instead of music. In football, the computer found an outlet that allowed him to cope with the immense pressure of the Soviet censorship. Here, how conductor Valery Gergiev describes Shostakovich's loves for football. Dmitry Dmitrievich Shostakovich is an outstanding, great composer and musician with a giant world fame, the author of many symphonies, operas, ballet scores. 
In his work, we very often find such supersonic sprint speeds and distances that enable the orchestra, pianists, violinists, and the singers sweep through the pages of his scores at a dizzying pace. Sometimes an absolutely astonishing whirlwind. And sometimes I think that maybe the passion for football gave him some inspiration to create such incredibly high-speed pieces for a huge orchestra. From the house of the three Benoit, we are walking to the Petrovsky Stadium, also known as the Lenin Stadium. One can take any trolley in numbers 1, 7 or 39, or walk along Bolshoi Avenue of the Petrogradska side. This 30-minute walk is just enough time to learn a little more about Shostakovich's love of football. In the composer's correspondence, one can see how passionate he was about the game, attentive to every detail. The warriors are barely bringing the match to draw with the railroad workers, writes Shostakovich about a game between CDK and Lokomotiv. In the second half, the score did not change despite the significant advantage of the auto workers and craftsmen. This is about a game played by Spartak. Before the war, Shostakovich was a fan of the main team of Leningrad, Dynamo. After the war, the flourishing Zenit would take a central place in the composer's heart. In 1944, the USSR Cup has resumed its games. Zenit reached the final and in the last match it defeated an outstanding team of military lieutenants, CDKA. Shostakovich was there at the Dynamo Stadium, supporting his Leningrad team in its fight for the first trophy. He was also among those who congratulated the team in the locker room. Being at the stadium was important for the composer. He described his attitude as follows. I go to the stadium to polish my nerves in the first or second sector in the Leiden Stadium. Dmitry Dmitrievich is also known for saying, the stadium is the only place in the Soviet Union where you can shout not only for, but also against. Despite his worldwide fame, Shostakovich cherished his acquaintance with football players. The composer would boast that he shook hands with the football player of Belisi Dynamo club, Boris Paichadze, in the halls of Moscow City Executive Committee building. Once Dmitry Dmitrievich invited the entire Zenit team to dinner, he wanted to learn about his heroes outside the green rectangle of the football field. He would write a letter to sports journalists he knew which such request as I'm writing to you regarding some personal matters. If it's not too difficult for you, would you please let me know who the people in the Kansas roster are? And then he would list the specific names and clarify. I am interested in their brief biographies. Who among them are residents of Leningrad and who are the apartment hunters? That is, that they came to play for Zenit in exchange for an apartment with good amenities? All his life, Shostakovich paid attention to football statistics. He wrote down all the goals, the name of the goal scorers. He kept a special ledger, an album where he entered dates of all matches as soon as the schedules had been published. The great violinist David Oster gave Dmitry Dmitrievich a five-year notebook which Shostakovich called Diary, as it was written on the cover. When the notebook ran out of pages, Shostakovich asked his acquaintances to bring him a similar one from Europe. One of the founders of domestic football statistics is the son of the poet Sergei Yesenin, Konstantin, who played in the Yacht Championship in Moscow before the war. In the 1960s, Konstantin, already a distinguished employee of the Red Sport newspaper Krasny Sport, received a letter in which he was accused of certain inaccuracies. At the end of the letter, written in a hard-to-read handwriting, was a phone number. When Yesenin called the number in Leningrad, the person who answered the call 
was, as you already guessed, Dmitry Shostakovich. At some point, Shostakovich planned to take a course for football referees. Historians have not found any documentary evidence of his referee training. Nevertheless, one of the Shostakovich students, composed of Vlad Lenchistikov, claimed that he saw in his teacher's hands a certificate of a state referee, apparently a gift for his many years of love for this game. The certificate has also an important additional function. It allowed its holder to enter any stadium in the country without a ticket. According to Shostakovich's wife, on the day of his death, August 9, 1975, Shostakovich asked to turn on the TV to watch football. Stop 6. Petrovsky Stadium to Petrovsky Island, Petrovsky Ostrov 2. The name of this island is directly related to the founder of St. Petersburg, once the capital of the Russian Empire. According to a Dutch resident of St. Petersburg, in 1713 the island was named Petrovsky because Petr Alexeyevich used to have fun there sometimes. In 1768, a palace for Empress Catherine II was built on the island with a French-style garden around it. Eight paths spread from the palace and went across the island. In 1912, the palace burned down, and only after the 1917 Russian Revolution, the island got its modern athletic appearance. Here, in 1924-1925, they built the first large stadium in Leningrad, named after Lenin. The arena was based on the design of the Czech engineer Alois Osipovich Vivoda, a former football player for the Nationals and sports teams. While at sport, he was the champion of the country, playing the right winger. The record holder in Russian long jump, 625 centimeters or 20.5 feet. He also engaged in pole vaulting and hurdling at 110 meters. The stadium on Petrovsky Island was not the first sports facility in the career of the Czech engineer. In 1910, Vivoda built a sports club with tennis courts on Kristovsky Island. In 1912, a stadium for the sports club's Nevsky. In 1924, a field for football and athletics in the Torek Garden, which was then called the Garden of the First Five-Year Plan. Vejvoda design of the Lenin Stadium included a football and basketball course, as well as a motorcycle track. The stadium has gone through several renovations. The first one happened in 1933 and helped to increase the stadium capacity from 10 to 25,000 spectators. Immediately after the renovation, the stadium hosted a match between the two USSR national teams. The first team, under captain Mikhail Butusov, lost to the second one with a score of 0-2. The girls were scored by two residents of Leningrad, Nikola Yatsev and Alexander Murashov. Two weeks later, the Lenin Stadium hosted the first international game. The Leningrad team played against the Turkish team. The friendship won in that game and the match ended with a draw 2-2. During the World War II, the stadium was destroyed. The wooden structures were dismantled in the winter of 1942. In the present form, the stadium appeared in the late 1950s. In 1957-1961, the second renovation took place, led by an influential resident of St. Petersburg, Nikolai Branov, the chief architect of Leningrad between 1938 and 1950. Thanks to Branov, in 1944, it was decided to restore the historical names of the city, streets and avenues. Palace Square, Nevsky Avenue, Sadova Street, 
In addition to overseeing the renovation of the Lenin Stadium, Baranov oversaw the construction of the Finland Station and the Lenin Sports and Concert Complex. After the renovation, the stadium capacity increased to 33,000. There was even a plan to build a roof over the field. The running tracks were covered with a special coating from Hungary called Novation, which enabled the highest speeds in the Soviet Union. That is why the Lenin Stadium was one of the main athletic stadiums in USSR. The stadium hosted rugby matches and the national championship in field hockey and bandy. The last renovation of the stadium took place in the late 1970s, before the 1980 Olympics. During the Olympics, the stadium was used by football teams in Group A. Teams from Cuba, Zambia, Venezuela, Czechoslovakia, Colombia, Nigeria and Kuwait played in Leningrad at the Kirov Stadium. In 1992, the stadium gets its current name, Petrovsky. In 1994, the stadium hosted part of the Goodwill Games. Zenit made Petrovsky Stadium its home arena in the early 1990s when, for the second time, the team was under the coach Pavel Fedorich Sidirin, the best coach in the world, as the fans call him. The St. Petersburg club spent 22 years at the stadium, from 1995 to 2017, when the team finally moved to St. Petersburg Stadium. It was here that Zanov fans celebrated the first medals in Russian history, watched the defeat of Bayern Munich in the UEFA Cup semi-finals and listened to the Champions League anthem, hardly believing their good fortune. Speaks commentator Gennady Orlov. Football is very dear to the people of the city. That is why they're so passionate about it and offer such strong support to the athletes, especially in recent years, when Zenit became champion. In the last two seasons, it became the champion of the country twice. And of course, football will never die. So thank you to those English sailors who brought the ball to our city. Thank you for bringing such a great game. To be continued. The second road in our walks will be called the Cultural Layer. In April, we will visit the iconic places of St. Petersburg, where art, life and football suddenly converge. You will hear poems about football by Osip Mandelstam and Vladimir Nabokov, learn about football players and the canvases of Soviet-Russian painter Alexander Deineka, and much more. Don't miss it. <laughs>